Revelation chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Revelation chapter number 6, verses 1 through 8. Hopefully everyone has a study guide and ready to go tonight. You know, I made a post today on Facebook. Some of you guys saw it and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of goes with the election season, but goes perfectly with what we're talking about tonight. You know, some people like, it's the end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it, you know, right? Um, but really, that's what we're getting at in Revelation chapter 6 as Jesus Christ takes the seals or takes the scroll and then opens the seals. Because remember, he is the only one that has the power in heaven to unlock the scroll and open the seals. And what we will see starting tonight is judgment upon the earth and judgment upon mankind. And what we're going to be talking about tonight, as the title suggests in your notes, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Now this lesson, this message tonight is in no way in relation to Now You See Me Too. Um, some of you will get that later. Uh, it's in relation to Revelation chapter 6. All right. Uh, let me ask a question as we start tonight, and then we'll, uh, we'll get on with it. What scares you the most about the election? No, not the election. What scares you the most about the study of the tribulation? What, studies, what, or what scares you the most about the study of the tribulation? Mia. Okay. All right. Violet? Mystery, you don't like what you don't know? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. She likes to know. I think all of us do, right? What else? What scares you or possibly scares you about the tribulation, the study of it? Yeah, David. Yeah, how many of your family and friends are going to go through that? That's very good. Jocelyn? You don't survive through it? All right. Anybody else? What scares you the most? All right. Nobody's scared. All right. Yeah, there is going to be a lot of evil unfolding. And really, uh, Revelation chapter 6 through 19, these 14 chapters are really just action-packed. I mean, uh, not even Steven Spielberg could write a script, you know, like this is about to unfold. Uh, you know, the world is coming to an end. And as we'll see tonight, it's really when um, Christ is letting loose some of these, some might call them terrors, and we'll get to that later in another lesson. But some of these judgments upon the earth. But uh, what we learned in the past couple of weeks is that, remember, every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every kindred, uh, Revelation 4 and 5, will be up in heaven, gathered around the throne, worshiping the Lamb. And really the worship described in chapter 4 and 5 is preparation for the wrath that is to come. Now remember, I want, I want us to remember that God is very long-suffering, which means He is very patient. And we should be thankful for that. We should be extremely thankful that God is long-suffering because all of us deserve a fate far worse than what we get. We think we deserve better than what we get, but we deserve far worse than what we get. And really, the Bible tells us that God is not willing that any should perish, right? But that all should come to repentance. He wants the world to be saved. But eventually, mankind must be judged of their sins and Christ's servants must be vindicated. You know, you think about some of the events that have happened on this earth. Now, I'm some of the things that I'm going to talk about, kind of introduction to this, this lesson tonight. Uh, think about some of the, the, the great, uh, not terror is not the right word, some of the great tragedies, devastations that have happened uh, in our world today. 
when you think about it, I want to list just a couple of them that I found on uh, Google earlier today. But all of the, the tragedies, all of the devastation, all of the, the mass humanity that has died at certain times pales in comparison to what's about to happen. Revelation chapter 6 verse, or through 19. Uh, I just came across a couple, uh, a couple of really devastating events in history. And they might not be completely accurate or you know, completely everything that um, uh, is involved with, with numbers. But uh, one of the things, uh, it said the death toll on this one was 30 million people. It was in the uh, late Wan warfare and then transition into the Ming dynasty there in China. 30 million people uh, died. Another one was uh, in uh, Lushan Rebellion, and the death toll was 36 million people. Uh, the Taiping Rebellion, the death toll was over 40 million people. I mean, that's, that's astounding in 1850. Uh, the Great Chinese Famine, the death toll was 43 million. I'm saying all this for a reason. Um, just uh, That's astounding. Soviet Crimes, death toll was 49 million people. Uh, the Mongol conquest, the death toll was over 60 million, they said. World War I, over 65 million lost their lives. World War II, 72 million people. Um, European colonization of the Americas, it said death toll was an estimate of 100 million people. Um, again, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but there have been some devastating events you know, in the earth, in the world, uh, since the time that, that uh, Jesus or, or God spoke the world into existence. But again, all of that, even COVID-19, pales in comparison to what's about to happen and what he's about to unleash upon the earth. Um, Matthew 24, 21, the Bible says this. This is important. The Bible says, Then shall there be a great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world unto this time, no, nor ever shall be. So this is important. There are a lot of people that might think we are going through the tribulation now. But Jesus was pretty specific when he said, the tribulation that is coming is nothing compared to what tribulation you have gone through or will go through or ever will go through. And Revelation 6 through 19, it really contains the heart of the end time. And really it's referred to as several things in the Bible. First of all, the day of the Lord. It's referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble or Daniel's 70th week, uh, the great tribulation. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, the Bible says, And there shall be a time of trouble, kind of reference to Matthew chapter 24, such as never was since there was a nation. So since the beginning of time, there's never been devastation and trouble as is about to come. Even to that same time, and at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone found written in the book. Now, quick note, quick reference. We've briefly hit on this. Um, based on my belief of the scriptures and my study of the scriptures, I believe that at this point in time, the church, those that are truly saved, have been raptured away. Uh, this is what many refer to as a pre-tribulational view. Uh, I really believe you find this in scriptures that the church is no longer found present in this day and age. And I just want to make a couple quick references. And again, all of this is setting the stage of, of what is to come. Uh, turn back to, to 1 Thessalonians, if you would. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, this is what talks about the rapture. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Where's that? It's Timothy. It's not 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. There it is. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, verse number 13. 
The Bible says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even to them which also are asleep in Jesus, will bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. That's where we get the word rapture. It means to be, or it's, it's the Greek word rapio, which means uh, to be caught up or rapture. Uh, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And the reason, again, I'm going to try to set the stage very quickly. The reason I believe this is to turn over maybe one page. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm going to look at verse, verse number 9. But verses 1 through 11 talks about this. Uh, but verse number 9, it says, For God hath not appointed us. Who is the us here? Anybody? It's the saved, it's the Christians, it's the, it's the church. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, to really the, the trouble that is coming, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, flip back to Revelation. Again, this is very quick, and I've got other references that I can give, but I really want to get to the lesson tonight. Revelation chapter 3. Really, there is no reference of the church after Revelation chapter 3 and those seven churches that we discussed. But note what it says in Revelation chapter 3, verse number, where's that? Verse number 10. Uh, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also... Now, it's not just specific to this church, but really, I believe it's to... It's, a, it's, it's intended to be written to all churches. And I had a commentary I meant to bring to kind of reference it a little bit more. I'll do that next week. Uh, <clears throat> because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. This is a specific hour. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, again, each of these letters was written to a specific church, but it was written to the church as a whole as an application for us as well. So really, that's just a quick reference, but I really believe that the church will be raptured away before these events happen with the tribulation, when Jesus takes, those, uh, takes the scroll and unlocks the seals. Now, there's a lot of people that believe a lot of different things, but that's my quick interpretation based on what I believe the Bible teaches. But Daniel 9.27, we're almost going to get there tonight. Daniel 9.27, the Bible says this, He shall confirm the covenant, with many for one week. Now, what Daniel is saying when he references one week, this means a seven-year period. In the Old Testament, uh, a week meant seven years. So that's where we get that Daniel's 70th week, 69 weeks or you know, 69 sets of seven years that already happened, taken place. And in the midst of the week, this is the middle of the tribulation, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. And for the overspreading of abominations, he shall make it desolate, even unto the consummation, and that determined shall be poured upon the desolate. I know in some ways it's like I have no clue what you're talking about. Let me give you a quick, quick, quick understanding. What's going to happen towards the beginning of the tribulation when, when all really chaos breaks loose is you think about, especially if the church is, is going to be raptured away, uh, and what, what we happen in Revelation chapter 6 where the four horsemen of the apocalypse come and a lot of death and destruction and, and devastation come. This is when the, the world will, will need that leader, right? To rise up out of the midst of humanity 
and kind of take over and, and come. And really, that's where we get the Antichrist. And there's a lot of references in the Bible about that. Now, quick fun note. Uh, I don't believe, I could be wrong, but I don't think Antichrist is ever actually found in Revelation. Uh, there are other um, significant addresses to uh, Antichrist, but we don't actually find it in Revelation. But anyway, uh, when the Antichrist comes, which is Antichrist, it's, it's opposite of Christ, it's false Christ, it gives an, a pre, an impression of Christ, but it's actually not Christ. He comes, and in Israel's mind, they believe that he is their Messiah. Because remember that Israel has been waiting for a Messiah to come for, for centuries. So when the Antichrist comes, they believe that he is their Messiah. And really, that's what Daniel chapter 9 is, is telling us, that he is coming as their protector. But really, in the middle of the tribulation, that peace agreement, peace treaty that he had made with Israel will be broken, and then he, he becomes, he goes from their protector to their persecutor. One more quick note, and then we'll get into it. Warren Wearsby says, he says, as we study these chapters, keep in mind, no matter what, what you hear and what you think about, keep in mind that John is writing this to encourage God's people in every age of history. He was not only writing prophecy that would be fulfilled in the end times, but he was also writing great theology and dramatically revealing the character of God and the principles of his kingdom. These chapters describe the cosmic conflict between God and Satan, the new Jerusalem, Babylon, and no matter, no matter what key a student may use to unlock Revelation, he cannot help but see the exalted king of kings as he vindicates his people and gives victory to his overcomers. In Revelation 6 and 7, what we see is this. John is characterizing the opening days of the tribulation as a time of, get this down, it's a time of retribution, it's a time of response, and it's a time of redemption. It kind of goes with what I talked about last week, that it's a time of judgment when the, the seals are unlocked and open. It's a time of judgment, restoration, and salvation. Or you can write retribution. Do we have that slide, Mike? Maybe? Uh, retribution, response, and redemption. There it is for you. And again, back in the previous chapter, we saw John see this scroll and, and he's looking in heaven and he's, he's fearful. Why is he fearful? Because he doesn't think there's anyone worthy, but there is one who is worthy. Who is the one that is worthy to open the seal? Who is it? Jesus. Yes. Jesus Christ. And tonight we are introduced to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And these horsemen introduce the first of God's uh, three series of judgments in Revelation. We have the seal judgments. Uh, in Revelation chapter 6, we have the trumpet judgments in Revelation 8 and 9. And then we have the bold judgments in Revelation 15 and 16. Now, all of these judgments, again, there's a lot of information I'm giving tonight before we dive into Revelation 6. But all of these judgments are telescopic in relation. Here's what I mean. At the end of each, so the seventh of each is really the opening of the first of the next. Meaning that the seventh seal is the start of the seven trumpets. The seventh trumpet is the start of the seventh bowl. And really with each judgment, uh, there's an increase in both uh, uh, rapid movement and intensity. So tonight, let's go ahead and dig in. Verse number one, chapter number six, Revelation chapter six. The Bible says, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, it's the first seal that was opened, and I heard as it were the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him had a bow 
Now notice there are no arrows. And a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. So let's go ahead and stop right there. The first thing we see is the white horse. The white horse. Now, thunder, as it's talked about in these verses, is indicative of a storm that is coming. The horse imagery is probably related to the vision described in Zechariah chapter 1. Horses represent God's activity on earth that he uses to accomplish and fulfill his purposes. Now, when you see the word come, where it says at the end of verse number 1, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. There's, there's something happening. There's something coming. One of the four beasts saying, come, come and see. This word, of, this word come is of an important note because, again, it is referencing God's sovereignty. Because the riders only come when Jesus sends them. It's very important to note. They cannot come until Jesus allows them to go and allows them to be set loose. So each of these horses, in a sense, has, has a rider on the horse. And verse number two, I, And I saw, behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow. Who is the rider of this first horse? Anybody? Anybody know? The Antichrist. Some say, well, it's Jesus. Well, it's not. Because I think it's Revelation chapter 19. Jesus is on the horse. People think, oh, it's got to be Jesus because he's on a white horse. Remember, the Antichrist is coming to, in, in some ways, represent the Messiah. That, hey, I am the Savior of the world, but he is the antithesis. He is the opposite. So he comes and really, he is the imitator of Christ. And really, this is a clear picture of imitation and deception. The betrayal is intended by John as a parody of Christ's righteousness and victory that is found later in Revelation chapter 19. Satan is attempting victory, but in his feeble imitation of Christ, only Christ is worthy. And you think about this. This deception is important to note because Israel will see this writer as we reference very, very quickly. And I don't have time to go back to the Old Testament and some of the prophecies. But Israel sees this rider as their political savior, as their political Messiah, as their protector. But really, this was a farce. This was a hoax. This wasn't true. They think it's their Messiah finally coming to save them. But this Antichrist, this beast, is actually coming to persecute them. And this, this rider, it's very important to note, he is carrying a bow, but where are the arrows? So really, it's what it's kind of referencing is that he is coming in peace, as Daniel had predicted. But he's going to destroy the world through his peaceful negotiations. He will assume power through his strength and recognition and substance, but without resorting to violence initially. He will resort to violence after the three and a half years, after the middle part. But initially when he comes, hey, I'm just trying to unite the world. I'm trying to bring the world together and really... Just a quick reference, every generation has seen someone as the Antichrist. I mean, every generation. I mean, it's like, oh, it's Adolf Hitler, it's Mussolini, it's, you know, this person, it's that person, it's, it's one of our presidents. You know, it's, everyone sees someone as, as the next Antichrist. But really, this Antichrist will kind of rise from humanity. Maybe they're alive on this earth at this time, maybe we don't know. But they're, they're going to bring the whole world together. So it's someone that is a very charismatic leader that can unite people. You know, maybe they have that powerful tongue that, you know, people listen to them like, oh yeah, I believe exactly what you say. But here's the truth that I want you to see. And every, with every horse and every rider, we're going to see just an important truth. 
What this is teaching us and what this is telling us for the Christian is this. To be aware of God's weapon of deception. Because deception is prevalent in, in the world today. There are a lot of people that in some way, and I'm not you know, trying to you know, speak out of turn, but in some way are antichrist in the sense that they are opposite of Christ. That they have a message that they are trying to preach, but the message is not indicative of the gospel. It's not indicative of Jesus Christ. So we must beware of deception. That's why it's very important for the church, especially to know what you believe and who to believe in. There are a lot of people that are led astray, but it's so important that the church understands what is truth. And who is truth, church? Who is truth? Jesus. Because John 14, 1 through 6, I am the way, the truth, right? And the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's very important to note. The second horse that we see, we've seen the white horse. And he represents really deception as he's coming to be the conqueror. And he's going to conquer the world as it says. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. But the second horse we see is the red horse. Verse number three. And when he opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, come and see. And there went out another horse that was red. And power was given to him that sat thereon to take peace from the earth. Now peace was brought to the earth by the first rider, but now peace is going to be taken away. And that they should kill one another. Now think about this. They're going to kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. So the first rider had the, the bow, but no arrows. The second rider has a great sword. There's a difference between someone that has a bow with no arrows, right? And then someone that has a sword. I mean, which one would you rather fight? The guy with the bow with no arrows. <laughs> I could beat that guy. Someone has a sword. I mean, that's, that's pretty tough. So what this is teaching us, again, the previous rider is a rider of deception, but it will be short-lived. He may have carried a bow, but no arrows, but that's not the case for this rider of the red horse. Antichrist conquering and conquest begins in peace, but soon he exchanges the empty bow for a sword, and the color red is often associated with terror and death. The red dragon is mentioned in Revelation chapter 12, verse 3. And really, it's a picture of bloodshed that's coming to the earth. And really, this teaches us that destruction is inevitable. You see, conquest started. I'm going I'm to try to unite people by, by, by bringing peaceful negotiation. He's really just trying to conquer. And really, what follows conquest is war. This is found in correlation with Zech- or Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. But this fiery red color rightly depicts the mission of bloodshed and slaughter. This idea conveys that of civil unrest. The unrest, you know, think about the unrest that we have today. I mean, it, it, it's getting bad, right? You think about it. I mean, even with the election, there were, it, it's sad that there are businesses that have to try to board up because they're afraid what might happen no matter who's elected. You think about the riots that have taken place in America, but really, this is going to be worldwide. And the rioting and the civil unrest, it's in no comparison to what is even taking place today. It's like we're getting just a small sampling of that. But really, what's going to happen when the second rider comes in this, on this red horse, and he's got this sword, uh, really, he's bringing war assassination, civil unrest, riots in the streets, rebellion against authority. Here's the truth. No one will be safe. You think about today, there, there are places where you are safe, right? There are places where you feel safe. But there's no one that's going to be safe. Safe. Anarchy is going to run rampant. 
This is going to take place on a global scale. But remember, the church has already been taken away. And there's no more salt to preserve. The spirit of hatred will be so severe that really this is what's going to happen when you study this out. The spirit of hatred is going to be so severe that men are going to slit other men's throat without even thinking about it. Blinking an eye. Like I know it happens somewhat today, but it's just going to be happening all the time. Brother will stab brother in the back without no hesitation. Parents even turning on their own children. And the truth that we need to understand is this, that we need to be aware of God's weapon of war. Be aware of God's weapon of war. We go on, we continue on quickly. Next horse that we see is the black horse. We've seen the white horse, and he represents that, that conquest, the, the, the conquering that's coming, the deception. Uh, we saw the red horse that, that represents war. And then thirdly, we see the black horse in verse number five and six. As it says, and when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, come and see. And I beheld and lo, a black horse. And he that sat upon it had a pair of balances in his hand, a, a scale, a weight. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now, war has a very close companion. An ever-present partner is famine. What happens with war often comes famine because with war it just destroys and and wipes out crops and and wipes out uh, so many different things. And really the balances or the weights uh, that are in the rider's hands show that food will be a precious commodity. You think about when famine strikes. Think about the crops. There is no crop, right? You can't have any food. Uh, Famine really is unstoppable. Famine is a logical consequence to worldwide war as food supplies are going to be destroyed and those involved in food production are killed. No one will be immune to this. Look at verse number six where it says, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts saying, a measure of wheat for a penny, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny and see that thou hurt not the oil and the wine. Now in the tribulation, really what's going to happen is the poor are going to get even poorer. Think about those that went through the Great Depression and just how, how terrible that was and how, how bad it was. But this is going to be devastating, devastating to everyone. A quart of wheat was approximately the amount necessary to sustain a person for one day. So it's important to understand what that verse is saying. When it says, and I heard a voice saying, a measure of wheat for a penny. So a quart of wheat is approximately the amount of necessary food to sustain a person for one day. One person. Barley, as it talks about later on in that verse, was the poor man's wheat. And really, barley is normally fed to animals. So this is what's going to be left on the earth at the time. Three measures of barley is ample for three people, each having a meal, but not very nutritious. A penny, what it's talking about here, is really, uh, uh, in the Roman culture, it was a a denarius or a denarii. It was equal to a full day's wages. So so think about that. Mankind will have to work all day to barely keep their family alive. I mean, you work all day, and what you make is barely enough for one meal. And and, and some commentators and some uh, believe because of this, and what what he's talking about, the balance of weight, and you're going to have to spend all day's wages just to, to get just a little bit of food. You know, inflation is going to, you know, skyrocket. 
I mean, it's going to go anywhere from 10 to 16 to, to 20 times what it normally is. So think about that in, in relation today. Now, it, it could even be greater. But today, the average price of a gallon of milk, I looked at this yesterday, it's $3.51 across the board, average price of a gallon of milk. You know what that equates to during this time? Maybe upwards to $50 or more for just a gallon of milk. So you think about that. How are you going to feed your family when you're working all day and just a gallon of milk is going to cost you 50 bucks? I mean, that's insane, isn't it? And it says, see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. In the tribulation, again, the, the poor are going to get poorer. And once the trumpet and the bowl judgments are going to be complete, there's going to be nothing that is going to be left. Today, famine and hunger kill more people in the world every year than AIDS, malaria, tuberculosis, and even COVID combined. Let me give you a little perspective. There's a lot of facts tonight. But some 805 million people in the world don't have enough food to lead an active, healthy life. Now, there's what they say in studies, there's 7.7 billion people. So in understanding this in reference, 805 million people in the world don't have enough food to lead an active, healthy life. Roughly 10% of the world's population now don't have enough food to lead an active, healthy life. One out of six children in developing countries is underweight. And the black horse is indicative of starvation and deprivation that the world has not seen and has never seen. If, if 10% of the world, oh, just went down. If 10% of the world is malnutritious, I mean, uh, you think about what's going to happen in this time. And really, no wonder the Antichrist will eventually be able to control the economy in Revelation 13 because he promises to feed the hungry masses. So they are coming for a Savior. And the truth that we see here is this, to be aware of God's weapon of famine. This is what it's teaching us, to be aware of God's weapon of deception with the white horse. The black horse teaches us, or the red horse teaches us about about war. The, The black horse teaches us about famine. And then finally, verses 7 and 8. What we see in, and when he had opened the fourth seal, so all the first four seals have, have already been opened up until this point. And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the beast say, come and see. Again, this is once those seals are open, that's when those judgments are unleashed. But not until, and only Jesus Christ can unleash them. Important to note. And I looked and behold, or behold a pale horse, kind of a, a greenish color. And the name that sat on him was death and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So with these first four seals that are open, a fourth of the world is going to die. I mean, that's that's pretty significant, isn't it? You know, Again, we're in a global pandemic, whatever that means, but it's nothing. I mean, 7.7, let's round it up to 8 billion. If that were to happen today, forget about, you know, the church being raptured away. We'll we'll address that in just a second. But out of 8 million or 8 billion, if you take a a quarter away, how many does that leave left? Six. So 2 billion are wiped out. Imagine, just one, imagine the stench. (laughs) How are you going to bury all those bodies? You're not. Imagine the devastation of animals and, and destruction that is left. Now, 
already, I believe the church is going to be raptured out. And, you know, maybe it's a billion, maybe it's two billion. I, I don't know how many is going to be, be raptured out, but there's already going to be people that are kind of going, going crazy. And then a quarter of what is left is going to die in these first four seals. It's just amazing. Now, John sees two parsonages. He sees death riding on a pale horse and Hades, which is the realm of the dead, following him. And remember, back in Revelation 1.18, only Christ has the keys to death and hell. And both will one day be cast into hell. Death claims the body while Hades claims the soul of the dead. Pale, this pale horse, it comes from the Greek word chloros, which is translated into our colors as a greenish color. This brings with it the idea that the body has turned green and is rotten away with decay. And many people believe that with this, this fourth rider, what is coming, they believe it's you know, pestilence and disease. Dr. Frank Holtman, which is the head of the University of Tennessee, his bacterial department, he said, while the greater part of the city's population could be destroyed by an atomic bomb, this is interesting to note, the bacteria method might easily wipe out an entire population on earth within a week's time. Just astounding. So a quarter of the population is going to be wiped out with these first four seals. And later in Revelation chapter 8, we're going to see another third of the population being wiped out. I mean, that's over half the remaining people alive, gone. I mean, just, just imagine that. It's hard to even imagine. And what we see here, the truth that we see here is this. To be aware of God's weapon of death. Death is coming. Look, the Antichrist is coming with dominion, bringing peace for a short time, coming as the world's savior. But then war will come and bring great division amongst the nations. You're going to follow that up with great famine and eventually death of really probably billions of people. Conquering tyrants who bring the world war, famine and pestilence are certainly nothing new. Suffering people from the days of the Roman Empire to to most recent days of war can easily recognize anticipation of these four dreaded horsemen as Jesus sends them forth to the earth. But again, this isn't to scare us. It's meant to encourage us because the church won't be here. And as, as a church, as Christians, it's our job to share the gospel. Look, you shouldn't want anyone to go through what is about to happen on the earth. And we don't know when that day is. It could be tomorrow. It could be in 100 years. We don't know. But that day is coming. And when that day, coming, when that day comes, God's judgment is going to be unleashed. You know, we think God's judgment is here now. God's judgment is not here. God's mercy and grace is still here. And that's why it's time that the church especially wake up to the reality that one day the earth is going to end and we have to do a better job of witnessing and telling people about Jesus Christ. And what we see this key truth, this final truth of this, though judgment is coming to the earth through deception, through war, through famine, through death, Christ is sovereign, which means Christ is in control over every step. And he's working through these trials. And that's what we see. It's, it's a reminder. It's an encouragement. As he says, come and see. Only Christ can unleash these. And he will, but he is giving us an open window. Now, we don't, have, we don't know how long our, our window is to share the gospel, to preach the gospel. But as I mentioned last week, the Bible says that every tribe, every kindred, every tongue will be centered around the throne, worshiping God. 
You know, I've referenced that there are over 4,000 unreached people groups on this earth today. But who is going to tell them? It's not the church's job, as I've been talking about, to maintain an institution. It's the church's job to complete a mission. We have a mission, church. And our mission is to share the gospel with the lost and dying world. And as we're going to look at, and it's, it's about to just, you know, get pretty, pretty fast and pretty rapid as we, as we go through these judgments. It's not meant to scare us because if you're a Christian, take hope because Jesus is in charge. Jesus reigns supreme. He is in control. You know, we sing songs about the sovereignty of God, that God is in control, that he rules and reigns victoriously. But the truth is he does and take hope and take heart in that. No matter what is coming, God is in control. Jesus Christ is in charge. And even you think about what's going on, the unrest in our country. And really, as I've said, it does not matter who is the president. It does not matter. Because when Christ wants to open these seals, he's going to open them no matter who's in office. And sometimes I think we do a, uh, we do, we, we do a disservice uh, to, our, to our Christianity in some ways because I think we, we take patriotism and we put it ahead of God. I'm all about being patriotic and I'm all about our, our civic duty and, and we should get out and vote. There's nothing wrong with that. But man, there are so many Christians that I've seen that, that are more passionate about the election than they are about the gospel. What is wrong with that? Seriously, what is wrong with that? You know, we'll, we'll post for days and for weeks about everything going on in the country with the election, but God forbid we actually tell someone about Jesus. Like, woe unto us. That's not the most important thing. It is an important thing. We should be patriotic, and, and I'm, I'm thankful to be an American, but I, I even think of what Paul said. You know, all of those things, his patriotism, his accolades, what do you say? They're but dung to me. <laughs> they, they don't mean anything. They're meaningless. You know what's most important? The gospel. Telling people about Jesus Christ. And again, you know, take, take, take pride in, in the fact that, you know, maybe you are an American and, and God has blessed us, but really, God has blessed us as a nation to share the gospel. I was reading something uh, this morning, and, and then I was talking to my dad. Uh, they're, in, they're in the midst of revival there in Indiana. They have a, a revival speaker, and you know, he was telling about a story, and really it's kind of uh, very comparative of, of a story that I was reading. You know, here's, here's the nuts and bolts of it, that we need to see every opportunity as an opportunity to share the gospel. Every opportunity. It's very easy for us to, to look at our troubles and, man, what's going on? Why is God judging me? You know, you think about it. Uh, say you're, you're driving along and, and you get a flat tire and your tire's flat and all of a sudden someone comes by and, and they help you. Man, thank you so much for saving me. And you go on your way. But then you miss an opportunity. How many times does that happen? It happens constantly with me. And I'm sure it happens constantly with you. You see, we have to take every opportunity we can to share the gospel with people. People that have lost a job, I mean, they, they get so despondent, they get so discouraged. What's going to happen? Well, maybe it's God's avenue of giving you another opportunity to share the gospel with more people. That's what we have to see. That's what we have to see, uh, take, take, take side in. You see, our perspective has to change. You know, the, the, the evangelist, I guess, was, was telling the church there in Indiana that, you know, you have to have a, a God vision. But really, what he's saying is what I've been talking about for weeks. We have to have a gospel identity. 
that our identity, that our focus is the gospel, that the gospel is above all, that every step of life, everything that I'm going through is meant to promote the gospel. Again, we have a mission to complete, and it's not our job to, uh, to, to just uh, maintain. And man, uh, American Christianity, we, we are struggling. We are struggling greatly. And I wonder if God looks down on us and thinks, what are you even doing with your life? I've given you all of this. I've given you all of these blessings. And all you're doing is just using it for your own selfish needs. When he's given us these blessings to promote his glory, to advance his kingdom. Again, church, the right perspective is so important. And really... As we continue on in Revelation 6 at the end of it, and then Revelation 7 and 8 and all the way through, keep the right perspective. It's not meant to scare us. It's meant to just tell us what's going to happen. And we're not going to dive as deep as, as maybe some might like because it's not important to, to decipher every code found within Revelation. That's not important. Some people get hung up on that. What's important is the gospel. And what's important is back in Revelation chapter 1 that it all centered around Jesus Christ. It says the revelation of what? Of who? Jesus Christ. Everything in the book of Revelation is pointing us back to Jesus Christ. That's what we need to understand. That's what we need to remember. And everything in the Bible is really a macro. uh, uh, It's a a microcosm of of the whole, the macro of everything is about Jesus. It's pointing to Jesus as our Messiah, as our Savior, as our Redeemer, as our hope. So take heart. Take hope that Christ is sovereign, that he rules and reigns, that he is victorious. And if you are his church, if you are truly saved, then you are on the winning side and you are victorious as well. Let's pray.